0: I kind of want to go now. I kind of feel like I'm ready to go on a summer camp. I don't know about you. Maybe just got back from spring break, like, let's go back. Let's do, let's do more summer. Uh, yeah, thank you, John Michael, for leading the charge on that. And, and like he said, we really do believe uh, that students are not just part of the, of the upcoming generation, but they really do in so many ways, lead what happens, not only in, in our church, but in our world. And so by sending your 6th to 12th grader, you are investing in the next generation of church leaders and disciple makers, and uh, it is a, a world-changing thing. I don't know if you ever need to bait and switch your kids, but maybe you do that this summer. You're like, hey, I'm going to give you $1,000. Just kidding. That's how much it costs to go to camp for all of you, and you send them. I don't know how you do that, but um, you'll figure that out. You're smart people. But for me, I was thinking about a time I got bait and switched into something. Is was actually, uh, I, I was married to Lindsay, and it was a couple days later that I found out, found out, unbeknownst to me, and maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but I married basically a quasi-vegetarian woman. I did not know this, right? I, I got into marriage, and I was like, that's not something you talk about necessarily as diet, like when you're in the dating kind of engaged period, I'm like... Oh, maybe I should pay attention to this. Like we go out to eat all the time. I never really noticed like what she got or or anything like that. So I figured out she's vegetarian. And, And so I had this kind of moment of realization where quickly I realized the fact that like the local Taco Bell knew my name was a problem like that was maybe an issue that was going to arise later in a marriage, or the fact I had like a cot in the back of the local Five Guys restaurant, like that may be a problem. Or the fact that when I think about a new heaven, a new earth, I thought about New York strip steak just delivered onto my plate. Like that's what I thought about. And clearly there was something I was missing, right? So and and i kind of watched uh, like the last the first year second year of being married to her goes by and i realized i'm getting bigger and more out of shape and she is staying the same like like she's working out she's on top of it she's eating green things and i was not doing any of that i quickly realized like i needed to build something different in my body i need to make a change and so we had kind of been talking about like doing some kind of like vegan or vegetarian challenge thing. And so it was like actually about this time six years ago that she was like, I will give you a couple hundred bucks if you can actually eat vegan for 40 days. Like no animal products, no dairy, no meat, no seafood, none of this stuff. And I was like, bet I will get that $200, no questions asked. And so I made it. I kind of limped my way through those 40 days, but something started to change. Like, my body kind of felt like it was getting rebuilt. Like, shocker, you're not supposed to eat Taco Bell, Five Guys, and Chipotle on, like, a weekly rotation. I didn't know that until this moment in my marriage, and so it started to change me, and I recognized that Lindsay was building her body differently than I would build my own body, and it clearly was not working in my favor. So, these 40 days go by. I do the challenge. She costs up the 200 bucks from our joint bank account, which I still don't know how that works, but... It happened. She gave me $200. Yay, my own money. Um, It's kind of how God feels when we give, right? Like, here's my 10%. Anyway, another sermon. But to me, it was really interesting because I got out of that season, and I quickly realized, like, I need to build my body the way that she's doing. I need to build it better, build it this way. And so I started to make some changes, and I basically just kind of kept up that diet, and have have done that, haven't eaten meat or a lot of those products. And in six plus years. And it like really started to change me that year. I lost like 30 pounds and started running and got really excited about kind of making my body better and things. And you're like, well, what happened? And that's, that's not my problem. Okay. I'm doing all the right things, but it just is genetics what it is. So, I thought it was interesting because that started to happen. I realized like how many times we kind of get like positively challenged by other people or other situations in life to build something better to build because they're building things differently than we do. Not just construction, but like in their spirit or in their soul or in their marriage or in the way they parent their kids. And I want to take you to God's building project he reveals to us in the book of Revelation. Revelation. We're talking about where's the world headed, like restoration, like what's gonna happen in eternity, how's this all unfold? And we actually have some blueprints for what the new heaven and new earth are going to look like. And it may not look like how you think it's gonna look like. I'd love to take you right away to Revelation 21. We read part of this a couple Sundays ago. We're gonna go back into this chapter now, and we're gonna start in verse 9. We're not gonna read all the way to verse 27, which is kind of this whole vision John gets, but if you have a Bible, you can kind of track along with where we're going. Now, John's revelation here, which is really important to catch, is actually not a brand new vision for the temple. It's not even a brand new vision for like the restored heaven and earth. It's actually a combination of Isaiah the prophet's vision and Ezekiel the prophet's vision from the Old Testament. These things are coming together in the new heaven, in, in the new earth. It's a restoration of all things. And so Jewish readers especially be like, oh man, I can't wait for this. This is going to be really good. Like All the things we would heard promised, they're going to come to fruition. They're going to come true. And so a couple of things I want to pull out of this, we're not going to read every single detail, but verse 15 is really important. John's revelation says, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia, which is kind of an ancient measurement tool in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. Keyword: it's just thick. Like, it was a big, significant wall. Now, if you actually take, like, I'm not a mathematician, but if you actually take the, the proportions and dimensions that John gives in this vision, like, the temple itself ends up being, like, this perfect radiant cube. None of the places we live are cubes. They're, they're They're 2D. There's some 3D elements to them, but they're not what he's describing here. Like there's different artists, different uh, biblical scholars have tried to like actually piece together what this would look like. And they all look like just a weird Star Wars movie. Like they're not, they just don't make sense. And you're like, I don't even understand what John is revelation is talking about here. But the holy city, these dimensions he gives are almost unrealistic proportions and John's point is that God builds differently than we do. He's actually pointing to perfection and completion and kind of supernatural characteristics to this earthly city. If you scan down, you see some of the, the materials that, that God uses to build this new city. And verse 22, is really key. John writes, I did not see a temple in the city. So the whole time you think he's leading up to like a building project, right? Like here's the blueprints, here's the dimensions, here's the, the properties and materials used. We said I didn't see a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb referring to Jesus are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Now, if you're an electrician, this is like the biggest bummer verse ever because you just got out of a job. Like there's literally God's glory. His radiance is filling this new heaven and new earth reality. There's no need for lights or manufactured things. It's like just God's presence, his glory is radiating forth and filling this place. I mean, if you know the Bible, you've probably thought back, you're like, oh, that happened before, right? Exodus. God's people are led out of slavery and into freedom, but they're wandering in the wilderness. And what are they led by? Literally a pillar of fire, of of light, radiance, God's presence literally from heaven connecting to earth, filling and, and leading them in the way that God wanted them to go. You fast forward to the New Testament, right? Jesus takes a couple of his closest disciples and they go up to this mountain and this incredible moment called the transfiguration happens where Jesus is kind of transformed. He gets, almost like they get a vision for his divinity and his supernatural character. But one of the things that marks that moment is light. Tons of light. It's radiant light. They, they love it so much. Peter, the loud mouth of the disciples, is always like, hey, we should build a tabernacle here. Like, let's set up shop here. This is incredible. We want to stay here. And Jesus says, no, we have a mission to fulfill. They go back down, but it's light. Again, if you're a math nerd or you love details, you may have caught in Revelation 21, right, that there's multiple numbers here that are really significant. 12, 44, 1,000, other numbers and, and, and properties throughout the book of Revelation, These are all Jewish ideas for completion or perfection. It's not like a math formula for the new heaven and new earth, but what it is is signifying completion and perfection that will happen in the new heaven, new earth. If you're a builder, you may be caught up in some of the details of of what the materials were, like onyx and jasper and gold, all things that were incredibly difficult to secure as a builder. Especially in ancient times, like all these things were incredibly expensive. Rarely were they ever used on their own because they were so hard to get. They were often paired, like a little sliver of gold we paired with a bunch of ordinary stone or ordinary silver. This is kind of like the Olympics. Like for all 5% of us that watch the Olympics <laughs> this year, uh, literally the gold medals are not actually gold. They're plated with gold, but the inside is a very common material. So it's like the same idea, but in the new heaven, new earth, all this stuff is made with pure gold, jasper, onyx, these other things. John gives another detail, like 12 stones. All, all throughout the Revelation, you hear about this, and it's representing the 12 tribes where there was division and hatred and war that God's going to bring every single ethnic group, every single race on the planet together in unity and worship of the lamb. Now, why does John give us all these details? Why did I just bore you for the last like 5.5 minutes with all these details about stuff that you've may not understand, and I may not understand, like, what is John's point here? If the, if the temple's not going to be rebuilt, if, if all this stuff is kind of supernatural, it's a mix of heaven and earth. I think John's point in all this, and this is something you read through the book of Revelation that you can see, is that John's truth here is that God's kingdom, he builds it differently than we do. God builds his kingdom differently than we do. His point is not, what's the physical property of the temple? What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to sound like? What's, how are the lights going to be on in, in the new heaven and earth? Like those, those are all things that John is not really concerned about in Revelation 21. His point is communicating to the communities that Revelation would have been spread to and to us as readers here in 2022, that God builds his kingdom differently than we do. His concerns and his priorities are different than our concerns and our priorities. I was hit with this like a couple weeks ago. Lindsay and I have been kind of slowly renovating through our house. Some of you have graciously helped us in the process, but we've slowly kind of chipping away at our house. And, and one of the things we started to say, okay, like year, we've been in here almost three years. Like we need to look at some of the exterior stuff. Like we've got paint chipping. Our, our, our yard looks like a dirt bike track. Like the backyard is big, but there's no deck. Like all these things that we want to slowly get to work on. And so we said, okay, priority A for this summer is going to be a deck. Like for all two months of Michigan summer, we want to enjoy the outside. We got a baby now. We want to get her outside and enjoy hanging out on the deck and eating meals there. And that was a part of both our families growing up. So I said, let's do a deck. But the first call we made was to my my stepdad-in-law, Lindsay's stepdad. His name is Ron. Ron is an incredible carpenter, incredible builder, flips houses, renovates, can do literally everything. And so I said, let's call up Ron and just figure out how much is it going to cost. Now, step back for a moment. John Gorvet is a pastor, and John Corvette does not know anything about building decks. But what John Gorvet thought was, it's wood and nails. How pricey could this deck be? <laughs> right? You're all laughing because you know, like, materials have, like, three, four X'd the last couple years, especially with, like, the shortage of supply of certain things. So we get going through these numbers, and he's asking me questions. He's like, well, John, were you thinking, like, cedar? Were you thinking treaty? Are you thinking treks? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I got to under—wood. I- like, get me wood. Get- make it a square. Connect it to my house. That's what I'm looking for, Ron. And so we're going through this list, and then the dollar signs are just rolling up, right? Like, we had a small budget kind of set aside for this cute little deck, and it got more expensive and more expensive and more expensive. Finally, the total comes out to a couple grand. He's like, oh, dude, I totally forgot. We need Joyce to do this deck right. Like, we got to factor in the Joyce. I was like, who is Joyce? Why does she need to come to my house And help with the deck. What are you talking about? So that adds another like $1,000 onto this project. So finally it gets way above our budget. We're like, all right, we're going to wait till lumber magically or cut down trees on our own or something like we're not doing this deck. We will wait, we'll do something else. But it's funny because just like John's vision of revelation of this new heaven and earth and just like God builds differently than we do, Ron built decks differently than I was planning to build. it. Like he actually knew what he was doing, he actually knew what was the most important. When it comes to our vision of the new heaven and new earth, knowing revelation, knowing John's vision is the most important thing. It's not what your speculations are. It's not what John thinks or what you might think. It Actually, you have to go all the way back to the revelation Jesus, this risen lamb, gives to John. That's why we studied it the last couple Sundays, why it will culminate uh, next Sunday on Easter. If you read it, Revelation as a letter is quite anti-temple. Like, like it's obviously confusing. There's so much happening in Revelation, but Revelation's main point is not for you to get caught up in like physical dimensions and properties of this new temple and the cube. And how, is it, how long is it? How big is the city? That's actually, if you look at it, what killed Jesus. It was his, his commitment to say like, that God does not dwell in four walls. God is not committed to a building. He's not committed to like a physical place. He's committed to people and, and his kingdom spreads through people and through love and through justice and mercy being done in those people's lives. This is how the kingdom moves. The first martyr. Right? You can read the book of Acts, the first kind of early church beginnings, the first guy who gets killed, stoned to death for his belief in Jesus. One of the things he said moments before the last rock hits him is God does not dwell in houses made with human hands, but on every single heart of the people that have surrendered to Jesus, that have followed him. And that's still true. You read Revelation, you could see they actually believe. John's vision points out that the kingdom of God advances, the way God builds his kingdom is totally different than how we would build it. His concerns and priorities are totally different. I mean, today, kind of traditionally across the church, right, is Palm Sunday. Maybe you saw that on social media, or, or you remember as a kid, you maybe grew up in church, and you got the palm branches you waved, Hosanna in the highest. Like, You maybe remember those moments. What's interesting is that Jesus comes in on a donkey, it's quite anti triumphal entry. It's quite anti what the Jews were expecting. The Jews were laying down their robes, waving their palm branches in hopes that Jesus was going to reestablish the temple, to build it back better, like to, to recreate the greatness of what Israel once was. And Jesus is absolutely unconcerned about that. In fact, you talked to a Jewish person today, Jews still believe that until the temple structure is rebuilt, the Messiah has not come. The Lamb of God has not returned. And so that this is still a tension going on in the world. The Jews in this moment, you read the story of Palm Sunday, wanted to settle for political power here and now at the expense of the kingdom of God that was already there. It was already breaking in through the person of Jesus. Now now you may say, I would never do that. I would never like wave palm branches and expect Jesus to do something in life that he wasn't going to do. But can I ask you the question, do you ever settle? Do we settle for the brokenness in our world? For the things that are not the way they're supposed to be? For a smaller vision than what John's trying to give us of what heaven and what the new heaven, new earth are going to look like? Have you ever said things like, different races will never get along? Just is what it is. Just got to live with it. Got to figure it out. That's not John's vision in Revelation. I'll never live without worry or fear, or anxiety or suicidal thoughts or depression. This isn't John's vision of a place marked by the peace and the presence of Jesus. You may say, well, I- I'm never going to be able to forgive my sister. What she did, what she said, how she, how she goes about life, I'll never be able to forgive her. And John's painting us a picture of a new heaven and new earth in which all relationships are right. They're all restored. They're reconciled. The, the differences are overwhelmed by the love of God. Maybe you say things like, well, the government is my best hope for real change and real community transformation. And you've already been disappointed like the last couple of years and maybe the years before that, right? So, but, but in this kingdom, in this government, Jesus, the risen lamb, is king. And his authority stretches across the entire kingdom, and he alone can actually make a lasting difference and change. This is what strikes me about Revelation 21. If I'm being honest, one of the things that stops me as I'm reading this letter is that the way John perceives Jesus, this king, the one who's going to restore all things, is not through a warrior God. It's not through like a massive like a military effort it's not even through like a strong picture of like a leader what the the picture John gets in revelation 21 is that Jesus is a lamb a sheep I don't know if you have a lot of sheep in in Byron center I haven't seen a lot around here but they're not the most impressive animal in the animal kingdom right if you're um watching planet earth and like the king of the forest and they show a sheep you're like what that's not that's not what came to mind. Like I lived in New Zealand for a year. The ratio of sheep to people is four to one. All right. They are the most unimpressive animal, especially when you see them all the time. Right? Those things are so dumb, so weak, so gentle, like they could not lead anything. And that's exactly the image John gets throughout this revelation, multiple different places of what Jesus is like in this new heaven and new earth. He's a risen conquering lamb. He, he builds his kingdom differently than we do. He leads differently than we tend to lead. I love just kind of Christian history. And I've, I'm in my master's course, I've been studying just different movements across uh, just a span of Christian history from the very beginning of time to, to now. And, and one of the, the movements that really struck me and stopped me in my tracks was the movement called the Moravia movement. Now, the Moravians were a small band of, of Christians who were following Jesus faithfully, but getting persecuted in what's now modern day Czech Republic. And they moved to Eastern Germany. There's safety in, in Germany for them. So they move and they're kind of all circulating, a couple hundred of them circulating and, and living in this compound, essentially. But what begins to happen is, is God's spirit breaks out. They begin to pray, they begin to worship, their, their kids start to, to get full of the Holy Spirit, and their lives get changed and marriages are healed, things are restored back. It's kind of like the Sermon on the Mount or the Lord's Prayer like actually fulfilled in a group of people. Like that kind of thing happened. It said that the Moravians had a 24/7 prayer movement for a hundred days straight. It just kept going. They kept praying. It's out of this experience that the Moravians actually organized the first like official missionary movement in, in Christian history. Literally two by two, just like the, just like the the animals on the ark, they're literally sent out to all of these different continents, all of these different countries. This is back in the 1400s, right? We're not talking. Boeing 757, 767s, we're not talking about social media. We're talking about incredibly limited technology and incredibly dangerous travel conditions. And they they send out literally hundreds of these Moravian missionaries all over. In fact, some of them landed on the shores of New York State, and they actually are the group that reached the very first uh, band of Mohican Indians in New York and converted them, led them to Jesus, and it transformed the Mohican Indian community I'm talking about the nations restored here and now. They believed this vision that we just read in John 21. Now, that's incredible. Great story. That'd be awesome if God did that again. I'd be all for it. But what strikes me about the Moravians was their logo. They actually had this logo that they would carry around. It was embroidered and it was shared. Uh, and, And the logo is of a conquering lamb carrying the banner of the kingdom of God and their motto as they traveled across and gave their lives to the mission of God was our lamb is conquered, let us follow him. It's revelation. It's the vision of the kingdom of God here and now. It's, it's a new heaven and the new earth. It's the Lord's prayer actually fulfilled in their day. And they believe just like Jesus does that people were dying for it. It's at the very heart of why they left what was comfortable in Germany and spread across the world. Pastor J.R. Briggs puts it this way, describing kind of the revelation vision. He says, at the heart of the Christian message is a simple and earth-shattering truth that people are worth dying for. See, God builds his kingdom differently than we do. He leads life and his kingdom, his new heaven, new earth, differently than how I would probably lead it. But this is exactly the same vision that John and even the Apostle Paul gets, right? He's in prison writing to the small church community in Ephesus. This is what he says, Ephesians 5. He says, imitate God, therefore. Imitate God, therefore. Imitate him, therefore, as someone who's been loved, right? In everything you do, because you're his dear children, live a life filled with love. Live a life filled with, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God God builds things differently than we do. He doesn't use power, violence, military force to establish his new heaven and earth. He actually uses the force of love and justice and, and, and believing, believing what he died for. Now, I, I look at that, and one of the things that strikes me, not only about the verse, but this vision John gets, the Moravians, is that I have to ask myself, I have to be very honest do I want that kind of kingdom? Like, do I want to build the kingdom of God that way? Like it would be truthfully, and maybe you resonate with this, it would be much easier in this life to build my kingdom to build God's kingdom my way, which is always going to be safer. It's always going to be easier. It's always going to be risk-free. It's always going to be comfortable, and it's not going to cost me too much. I can control. God's kingdom when I build it my way. But in Revelation 21, that's not even an option on the table. It's not the way actual life with God works. It's not it's not flexing what little power I have, what control I have in my marriage, what control I have in my career, what control I have over money or control I have over kids. It's actually releasing and relinquishing that control. It's actually letting God build his kingdom in me, his way. This is how the world ends. This is how the the world we know it ends and the new heaven and new earth begins. The restored reality begins. I was sitting with a a, a spiritual director, coach, counselor a couple weeks ago. And what, we were just talking about this, like the, the tension you can face in, in any career, but especially in ministry where you can say, I want to live and build churches, kingdoms, movements my way and ask God to bless it. I can build my own kingdom. I'm okay with that. And, and the difference is so close, right? None of you would be able to tell. Or I can let God build his kingdom, his way. And one of the things that struck me, and he just kind of kind of prophetically shared this over me was, John, I believe God is calling you to lead your family, your marriage, the people God's given you at center, your own relationships, your own personal life in a way that'll probably make you uncomfortable this next year. That's probably going to stretch you. That in order for you to go deeper, in how you lead, to go deeper in living out your calling, you have to go deeper in God, to truly love our community, right? The community God has called us to serve, this area of Grand Rapids, this area of West Michigan, in order to serve them in a deeper, more super, naturally supernatural way. It's going to cause you to ask, will you build your church different? Will you let God build something different in you and in our togetherness, And that's a question I have to wrestle with. I don't have it figured out, I'm not sure. I want my answer to be yes, but that's going to require me every single day to choose the way of love, to choose the way of the lamb instead of choosing my own way. And so I wanna end together is is doing something very simple. A prayer you've probably prayed, maybe you've heard, read, remember from childhood, but it's about how God built his kingdom. It's about praying that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And before we pray this, I wanna ask you the question, I wanna force you to wrestle with this question, especially going into this next week, especially with invite cards near you, especially with people you've prayed for to meet Jesus or to get baptized in, in just a week from now. I wanna ask you, what like in your life, where does God's kingdom need to come? Where does God's kingdom need to come? Is it a marriage? Is it in a friendship? Is it with your roommates? Is it with your money? Is it with a dream or a calling that you've given up on? Is it in something you have done or said that you know you need to confess and make right? I I don't know, is it with a kid? I, I don't know where your area is, but where do you need God's kingdom to come? Where this Easter is praying, God, would you bring your kingdom? Would you allow it to be done and realize on earth, in my world, in my life, as it is in heaven? So together, I'd invite us to pray this, just like God taught us to pray, His Father taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is what the disciples ask. When they want to see God's kingdom spread, they don't ask for preaching tips. They don't ask how to lead a small group. They don't ask how to give more money. They don't ask how to heal the sick. What they ask Jesus for is how to pray because it's in prayer that you surrender. It's in prayer that you lose control. It's in prayer that you trust that the risen lamb is building his kingdom the way it's supposed to be built. And so I want to take a time, just give you 30 seconds. I want to pray over you. I want to give you some space to wrestle and to and to bring those things before God in prayer, and then we're going to worship together. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we just bring before you our dependence on you, our need for you. And I just know there's probably someone here, someone watching who, who has settled, who has settled for just a better version, a different take on brokenness in their life. And I believe it's there's somebody here. There's, there's a couple here. There's some people here. who who that has just broken down and eroded their marriage. And Jesus, I'm asking not for a quick fix, not for easy solutions, but for your kingdom to come, your will to be done in their marriage as it is in heaven. Father, there may be a student here, maybe high school, college, who feels like you've put something a calling, a dream, a vision, something that is needed, a contribution that's needed in the kingdom of God that they feel disqualified for. Would that be sin, the words of a a leader criticizing them, saying they're not good enough, they won't make a difference. God, I pray for that student right now that you would revive the dream, you'd revive the calling you'd resurrect that in them and that your kingdom would come in their, their vocation, their career, their destiny, whatever it is, as it is in heaven. And we pray for our church. We know that we've just scratch the surface of all that you wanna do through Center Church, not only in this community, but in our own families. And Jesus, we are stepping before you together, one voice, one heart saying, use us. May your kingdom come in Center Church and through Center Church as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. So we surrender everything else. We surrender and consecrate ourselves to you in that good work. Thank you that you, do build, <laughs> you build differently than we do. And it's so much better. So we lay down our tools, we lay down our attempts and ask that you'd help us to be full of your Holy Spirit, full of your vision. We love you and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to respond together.
1: I searched the world. And I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. And man's empty praise and treasures and faith are never in Together, and every desire is now satisfied. Grace won't find me again. into glory. Season to highways, because you're the only
0: So good. So good. That's true. What we saying, that's so true. Thank you team for leading us so well uh, this morning. I wanna put two quick things on your radar before we go. Number one, as we said, it's Holy Week, some incredible stuff coming up. I mean, Good Friday together with our Zero Collective churches, and then Easter here, 9 and 1030 next Sunday. Again, if, if you call Center Church home, the cards you see are not just for you to remember, they are for someone to receive and be bold and take a courageous risk this week. Invite somebody, bring some people with you. It's going to be really, really powerful as we celebrate resurrection. The second part of that is if you know, and there's a really good chance there's somebody in here, your heart's beating fast every time we talk about baptism, because that may be your next step. And I want to encourage you to go for it. We already had someone sign up last weekend when we announced it for for Easter service, and uh, we cannot wait to celebrate that and jump into that together and just honor those people who are taking steps forward in faith. If you've been baptized as a kid or you just have questions about baptism, you're like, I don't know if I qualify, but I know I feel like I need to do it. I would love to personally talk with you about that today. But you can go to centergr.com baptism and get signed up for that this week as we prepare for next Sunday. Uh, have an incredible weekend, though. Thank you for being here. If you're brand new, I'd love to meet you on your way out. Uh, but we'll see you next Sunday or this Good Friday as we gather together. We'll see you then.